Good morning. So the <clears throat> this message is not going to be terribly traditional, but I don't know. I couldn't find myself uh, in. I could not find it within uh, within me to uh, look at Luke. And so, what I want to do is is I want to speak from Galatians chapter uh, chapters three and four, uh, mostly chapter four, and uh, look at what what has actually been accomplished by the coming of Jesus, his power and his glory manifested to do within the world uh, what was really unimaginable, uh, to bring together people from every tribe, and tongue, and nation, and kindred, and make them one, make them one family. And that's ultimately what he accomplished. Uh, when he came into the world, uh, it was split. It was split uh, among the tribes and, and among the nations of the world. And Israel was split off from the rest of the world. And the goal, the, the, the audacious goal of God was to unite all peoples in the worship of, of himself through his son, uh, our Lord Jesus. And, and that's what he's accomplished. We heard in a lot of our hymns the same thing. In two of the hymns, we heard, he's the desire of the nation. He's the desire of the nation. And that's what that's really what Christmas is about, is that he has come to unite all people in the worship of the one true God uh, through uh, the death and resurrection of his son. It's, it's quite amazing to think that this, like looking back on it, to think this could happen through the death and resurrection of one man uh, is quite astounding, that he could unite the world. And that's what, he, that's what he's doing. It may not look like it. Uh, but that's what we're called to believe, and uh, it's how we're it's it's how we are called to act. We're called to act with the confidence that He will answer, uh, that He will do what He said He was going to do, and that is to make one people out of all the nations of the earth. So let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll get started in Galatians uh, chapter chapter three twenty six through uh, four seven. Uh, Father, thank you for this time. Uh, we do thank you for. This, uh, the glory of uh, this, uh, this occasion when, uh, when we celebrate the fact that you have uh, sent your son into the world to uh, deliver us and to unite us together as one people uh, through the worship of, of Jesus and, and of you through Jesus. Father, we thank you for, for that. We, just, we do pray that uh, today you'll be with us. Uh, help us to understand anew and afresh the way that uh, you have accomplished your your purposes within the world and how you are accomplishing them uh, even now, how you are working through us and, and uh, all of your people throughout the world to, uh, to unite the world in the worship of the one true God. We give you thanks now and uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Galatians 3, 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus the Messiah. And if you are the Messiahs, if you are the Christs, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are the seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. I mean that an heir, this is what I mean, he says, that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, 
when we were children, were enslaved to the tutelary deities of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, and this, that's really our focus here, what, what is the fullness of time? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, he says, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The announcement of the birth of Jesus is a royal announcement. An announcement meant to set him apart, to set him out as son of God. The king who would come and rule over the house of Jacob forever and whose kingdom will never end. Today, rather than looking at and working through the traditional text associated with the birth of Jesus, which we read, Luke 1 and 2, I want to look at the way the birth of Jesus and its effects have changed all of history, and in particular, how it changes those of us who embrace him. In the book of Galatians, we find ourselves within the long argument of Paul regarding those who belong to the children of Abraham, and how it is that they belong, and what marks them out as the children of Abraham. Galatians 4, in particular, uh, we find, in particular, we find ourselves dropped within an extended argument of Paul regarding who belongs to that, uh, to that family of Abraham. We are in this argument about Jews being freed from the Mosaic law, and its exile producing condemnation. In Galatians chapter four, the argument is essentially that the Jews were, if they come into the Messiah, have been freed from the Mosaic law and its exile producing condemnation. And we are dropped, we are dropped uh, into this argument. And Paul is here giving us an explanation of the historical and theological purposes for which it was given to Israel, that is, why was the law given? So it seems like a kind of a very uh, inappropriate way to look at Christmas. But basically, what Paul is doing here is he's saying, "Look, this is why, this is why the Messiah came. This is what he has accomplished, and this is what it looks like when we walk according to the new rule, the new creation that he has created." I want to explore what happened essentially when the fullness of time had come. The process that Paul describes here is actually a story. It's a grand story, a grand narrative that finds its culmination in sonship, by the coming of the Son of God, the Messianic King, into the world. For Paul, the fact that God, that the Son of God had come was as extraordinary as it was far-reaching in its implications. It produced a single people of the one God, and set about to break down the barriers that, had, that God himself had erected for a season, but which had to be dismantled to accomplish the very purpose that he had given his son for. This was the purpose for all creation, a creation that existed and still exists to a lesser extent among uh, as multiple people groups. Paul's main conclusion to simplify, is that the one creator God, the God of Israel, had called Israel and given her the Torah. 
not for the purpose that they would simply remain the one family of God of Abraham, and that the Gentiles then would get their just desserts and find themselves condemned and ruled over by the Jewish Messiah and his people, as one reading of Daniel 7 might yield. God's goal was not even, as some assume today, at least implicitly, that the Gentiles would become another entity altogether, a different family, while the Jews would maintain their own ethnic identity apart from the Gentiles. No, it's much more bold than that. This is basically the, the so-called history of religions approach, wherein everyone is validated as they stand. Nor perhaps, as those who came to Galatia from Jerusalem might have said, that God was creating one family by making Gentiles take upon themselves the yoke of Torah through circumcision as the sign that they had entered into the one family. The Gentiles who had believed in Jesus, according to this view, needed to be fully paid up Jews and therefore should become circumcised and keep Torah. No, that is not what God had intended to accomplish all along. He had intended for the whole world to come into one family through his son. Paul's argument is that Torah, being the covenant charter and identity marker of Israel, as indeed it was intended to be, had already done its part, but it belonged to a preparatory time before the coming of the Messiah. It had a role to play, but there was a role beyond Torah. There was a role beyond the law, reserved for the Son and the Spirit. The Son, the Messiah, and the Spirit would accomplish what Torah could not accomplish. Torah had set apart Israel for uh, set apart Israel herself as the one people of God, as it was intended to do. But Torah could not be the marker of the one universal family of God that God had intended all along to create, because by its very design, it had separated Israel from the nations. Torah could not incorporate the Gentiles and thus redeem the whole world. And at the heart of God's purposes was and is his desire for all the nations to come into the one family of the creator. This, if we, if we back up and look at this, we can see essentially the way that the wisdom of God was at work in his plan to save the whole world. God all along, we often, we often have this, especially within, uh, within certain ways of looking at eschatology, we often have this idea that, well, the Jews are over there and the church is over here and God intended it that way. And we just kind of go along as the church and we, we kind of wed the idea of Gentiles being the church and, and we separate the Jews off because, because, as we know, most of the Jews did not believe at the coming of, of Jesus. But this is actually not what the Bible is after. What God is going to do and what he is doing uh, not through Torah, but through the Son and the Spirit, is he's incorporating the Gentiles into the one people of God. What this coming meant, the coming of Jesus, what, when God sent forth his Son, what the coming meant for Israel at Jesus' coming was that Israel's identity as sons of God would now be shared with the broader world. Not through her adherence to Torah and the Gentiles embracing Torah as their identity marker, also, as some Gentile believers seek to even do today, uh, 
but through Israel finding her true identity in Jesus and his purposes for the broader world, as Paul insists over and over again. Take, for example, Paul. What did Paul do as a Jew? He, he, he came under, this, he submitted himself to the Lord, and he went out to the nations. What he did was essentially take upon himself the mission of God to save the world. And this is what, uh, this is what was intended all along. It was never intended for there to be two peoples of God. If Israel, and this I think is, is part of the larger message of, of Galatians, if Israel persisted in denying her potential identity in Jesus, her Messiah, she would find herself outside the purposes of God for the redemption of all mankind and herself outside of the renewed covenant in the Messiah. If she persisted, and you can see this a lot in the Gospels, if she persisted in her quest for national identity formed and informed by Torah, Torah, Torah would actually keep her in exile. Note the song we sing. You don't hear this a whole lot, but if you look at, um, I think it was 218. In 218, uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel, the first, the first line is about captive Israel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. That is ultimately what is happening in the Bible. And you can, you can screen this out if you want to. Right? You, can, you can act as if there's no role, no historical role for Israel to play in the purposes of God, but you will have to screen out most of your Bible. You can't, I, I, like, I can't emphasize enough, you will not understand what the Bible is doing if you set aside, if you basically take salvation and say, oh, well, there's just this kind of generalized salvation, and you divorce it from the, the way that God has been working through history to accomplish it. Uh, you can't do it. This is what most of the letters of the New Testament are about. How does this work within the church? Now, I understand we don't have any Jews in, in our congregation, but were we to, we would be dealing with this very issue. Um, I have a lot in my, in my classes, and uh, some are believers, some are not, but we have to deal with this issue as well. We're constantly working through what does this mean that you're a believer in the Messiah, I'm a believer in the Messiah, but here you have Torah, we don't have Torah, how does all this work together? And for us, some of us, this is like purely, it's totally irrelevant. But I suggest that if we, if we screen this part out and we don't understand the fuller picture of what, what God is doing, we will then, we'll overgeneralize the, uh, the letters of Paul, especially, uh, and, and the Gospels for that matter. We'll generalize it into Jesus, is, he just came to save us and, and that's it. Looking at the historical process, we can see I think the beauty of what the creator has actually accomplished. Uh, o come, O come, desire of the nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind, bind envy, uh, bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease, fill the whole world with heaven's peace. This is, um, I mean, it's, it's an idealism, but it's built on the idealism of the scriptures. That is God's goal. That's what he's going to accomplish. And if we don't get involved, we'll find ourselves with Israel sitting over here being uh, being pushed out of the purposes of God. That's what that's what our, our lives are for, essentially. So if 
she persisted. If Israel persisted in her quest for national identity, formed and informed by Torah, Torah would actually keep Israel in exile. Paul's belief etched into the world in the book of Galatians is that if she persisted in her quest for national identity formed by Torah, she would find herself back in this present evil age, outside of the new age that had dawned in the Messiah. This, this is what I want to really focus on today. And that is that when, when you and I, or uh, what Paul is concerned with uh, primarily in the book of Galatians, when a Jew, when an Israelite comes into Jesus, believes in Jesus, what happens is that that individual comes into a new world. It is a new age. It is outside this present evil age. It is the resurrection come back into the present. Due to Israel's transgression of Torah and its power to condemn, anyone who remained under Torah remained under its curse. This was not simply an abstract curse, but the very specific curse of exile spoken of so shockingly in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. Have a a look at Deuteronomy 27 and 28. This results, this curse upon Israel results in both geographical Israel and legal, uh, geographical exile and legal exile, covenantal exile. Then finally, if if we kind of look at what God is doing in relation to these, this broader sketching of what's happening in the first century, we will see that Jesus is basically doing the same thing within the Gospels. Jesus himself had said, if you persist in this way that is not the way of peace, not the way that I have, I have come and told you, you are going to be destroyed. In fact, it happens in AD 70. Those who persisted in their quest for national identity, apart from the Gentiles and God's redemption of all mankind, would find their symbol of national identity crashing down upon them, as it did in AD 70. The problem, the problem for the Galatians, I mean, sorry, coming back to Galatians, Galatians is that the people of Galatia, were basically in a situation where they were mostly Gentiles, but some Jews had come and they were part of them. They had, uh, the Jews who came were associating with the Gentiles, were eating with them, were becoming one family with the Gentiles. And a group then comes from James and they say, no, this, this is not the way it works. What you must do is take upon yourself circumcision. And when you take upon yourself circumcision, you become you come under Torah and you then become one family of the Messiah. And Paul confronts this head on and says, no, this is not how it works. They if you put yourself under Torah, if you put yourself under Torah, you will find that you are back in the old age. You are in the this present evil age. Rather, he says, with the arrival of the Spirit of God, made possible through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, God's new age has dawned, and the Spirit, not works of Torah, are able to produce the renewed people of God. The Spirit was simply a new, uh, was not simply a new awakening, an enlightenment of sorts, though indeed once one gets the Spirit, all things do become new, 
And there is a new awakening, a new birth, if you will. But the spirit is more than that. And especially as you look at it within the book of Galatians, it signals as well as operates. It is a sign that the new covenant has come. You can read and read in Joel when when the spirit comes, he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Right. And this is what we see working in the book of Acts. It is a sign that the new covenant has come, that God's new age, the age of the Messiah has dawned. And God, by his spirit, through the work of the Messiah, is transforming the whole world, including Israel, but not just Israel. A new world dawned in the coming of the Messiah. The beginning of the book and the end of the book show what he is getting at. Paul begins the book itself by speaking of the way that God, through the Messiah, has delivered us from this present evil age. This is to say, when you come to believe in Jesus, you begin to live in a different sphere, a different age, the age in which grace and peace are to reign supreme. Galatians 1, 3, and 4. Grace to you, he says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Why that? Well, because that's what's to reign within the new world. Who gave himself, and this is, this is a very important passage, uh, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. You look in, in Paul's letters, the opening of the letter usually is unpacked within the rest of the book. You see this in, in Romans as well. You can spend a ton of time just looking at the way that Paul takes uh, the, the proclamation of the Son of God in Romans 1, uh, 1, 1 through 4, and the way he expounds upon that throughout the rest of the book. If his words matter, he is going to unpack what he has just said here. He gave himself. He was crucified for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And then at the end of the book, Paul comes full circle to speak of the same thing in a slightly different way, now using the language of new creation. A new creation, he says, where ethnic boundaries set by Torah were abolished so that God's one family, the Israel of God, might be created in anticipation of the age to come. Chapter 6, verse 14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. Here, that's what he's getting at. New creation signifies that there is a new age that has dawned in the Messiah. And then he says, and as for us, as for all who walked by this rule, this kanon, Peace and mercy be upon them, even upon the Israel of God. The old world and its idols, even its protective guardians, even the Torah itself, he says, have been crucified to Paul and indeed to every believer. And we now walk by a new rule, a new canon, a new canon, if you will. This new rule is new creation brought about by the outward spirit. In the new creation, there are no ethnic divisions, neither circumcision matters nor uncircumcision. This is the new Israel of God. What does this matter? What does this matter? Is this simply 
we're we're memorizing what God has done, and then uh, we can just say you can just pad our minds and say, hey, we're we're smart. We can figure out what what God has done, or does this really matter in how we walk? First, it matters desperately to God that He create a single family not defined by ethnicity, race, gender, or social status. That's what that is about. You are all wanting Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female, uh, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. You're all one in the Messiah. This is not an egalitarian way of, of you know, of, a lot of people read it as uh, like Paul is saying that none of this stuff matters, that, that you can just forget what gender you are and all that. Not at all. What he's saying, though, is that no one is defined by their ethnicity within the kingdom of the Messiah. No one is defined by their social status. We sang a song, uh, the slave is our brother, right? That's what, that's what the song said. And that's exactly what he's celebrating in the book of Galatians. God has broken down in the Messiah. He's broken down all of these divisions in order to create one people. Because these things divide the one family and God is not into division, he is going to, he, his new kingdom is not defined by ethnicity, race, gender, or social status. Because these things divide, he has abolished. Rather, and this is the main thing I want to, uh, to, to say about it today, the creation of a single family, the single people of God, also creates a new Torah of sorts, not lacking uh, defining characteristics, but lacking ethnically and socially separating characteristics. Here's what I'm getting at. When, when God set about, when he sent his son, what he was doing was creating the single family that I've talked about a lot. But not only was he doing that, he was creating a new Torah. This is what Paul is doing. Like if you step back again, go back through Galatians and read it again after, after we get finished with this, and you will see his use of, of namas, Torah, law, is he's, he's turning it this way and that way in order to say when God created this one new family, he also created a new Torah of sorts. This new Torah is the eschatological Torah that operates in accordance with the spirit and by the power of God. It's often what we will say, well, the new commandment is what? The first and greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the new eschatological Torah. This is what you'll hear this echoed in, in the passage we're going to read in just a few minutes uh, from Galatians. Uh, but this is the new eschatological Torah. When God creates a new people of God by the Messiah, through his death and through his resurrection, he also creates a new Torah. And this is why you can't hold on to the other, because the new one is not defined in the same terms. Listen to 5.13 and following. He says, for you were called uh, to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is what he's getting at. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you, are all, that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
So what's he doing when he talks about the whole law being fulfilled in this? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He is not simply saying something about the old law. He is saying a new one has come. This is the new eschatological Torah that has been redefined by the coming of the Spirit. And in power, those who walk by the Spirit, these will fulfill the law. That's what he's after. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 518. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under Torah. Now, he doesn't mean that you're not under any Torah. You're not under that Torah, the Torah of Moses. You are under the new Torah. And the new Torah is, he's going to say in 6.2, you will thus fulfill the Torah of Christ, the law of Christ. Our terms there, he's using the same term, but he's turning it this way in that. Uh, bear one another's burdens, he says, and, and thus fulfill the, the Torah of Messiah. There's a new Torah that has come, and it is the Torah uh, defined by love, love of God and love of neighbor. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like, and things like these, he says, uh, so as to, he's not saying look, this is all, these are all, like if you, he's not completing a, a he's, not, he's not laying out a complete list of everything that is uh, according to the flesh. There are other things like it that are as well. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no Torah. There is no law. In other words, if you are in the Messiah, and if you're walking in accordance with the spirit, there's no law against any of that. You are under the new law, the new law of the Messiah. And those who belong to Christ, he says, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the Torah of Christ, the law of the Messiah. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then, he, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear their own load. Now, this is what I'd like to say about this passage. One might think about this, as most people do, in terms merely of ethics or morality. And indeed, it is ethical and it is moral. But what he is saying is not that Jesus is creating some kind of new moral code. It's not what he's saying at all. It's much better than that. What God is doing with his people is creating a new world, a new age, not a new ethical system as if Jesus were some, simply some wise guru among the gurus of the world, teaching timeless truths and, compete, and a competing ethical system that might, in the end, prove to be the best system on offer. That is not what he's doing. That is to moralize 
your future. And that's not what he's doing. What he is doing is that the creator God himself, through Jesus, through the spirit, is rescuing his creation. And he is doing this first through his people who are to reflect the new age that is, that is coming about in the Messiah within this present evil age, having been delivered from it and its gods and idols. And this new Torah by which this transformed people are to walk is the Torah of the spirit, the law of the spirit. The law of the spirit, Paul says in Romans 8, that gives life. The law of the spirit of life, he says, in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's probably best translated as the Torah of the spirit, which gives life to bring out that contrast with the Mosaic law in chapter seven. It is the transformed Torah spoken of in scripture as the circumcision of the heart, the Torah written upon the heart. It is, it is the Torah against which there is no Torah, no law characterized by radical love for one another and for God himself, intent on human restoration and healing as the goal of the creator God and of Jesus, his Messiah, characterized by forgiveness that enables new life-giving power to become fully operative in the community. Without it, without forgiveness, you will have no community, nor will you have a family. You will not have it. You will split it. And this forgiveness is what is to, to characterize us as believers. It involves acting and not acting within the world, embracing some things and rejecting others. It is not merely existence. It involves fulfilling the law of the Messiah. It involves acting out in obedience to the spirit. The new, the new Torah is the Torah for the age to come. And living by that Torah brings the future into uh, brings the future into the past, into our present. It's very much like hope. Uh, I was uh, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, a student of mine, who's a he's a psychiatrist, and uh, he's he did his dissertation on on hope many many years ago. But he says he says I like to think of hope as standing in the future and pulling the present to yourself which is essentially what you're doing with hope you're saying you're saying i'm planning on the future and i'm planning on it to be better than the present i'm hoping for it now you're, you're kind of pulling yourself uh, toward the future and i think that's right the new torah in of jesus the messiah brings the life of the spirit which is the life of the new age the the age to come the resurrection brings it back into this world and then pulls us into the future, the future that is to come by the practice of the fruits of the spirit. That's what he means when he says, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is not simply that God is going to size everyone up, going to size you up and see if you did this or that and, and check off the boxes. It's not what's going to happen. What he is going to do is he's going to see in the present those who are living in accordance with the age to come, and those people enter the kingdom of God. That's quite different than saying, hey, we have these, these actions that we produce, 
and God's keeping a record of everything, which he is. I'm not saying that he's not, but it's not simply some moral system where we say, okay, we've got this checklist, we've got to do this. He says, people who do things like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is happening is that those who come into the Messiah are those who will, must walk in the manner that is in accordance with the spirit and not walk in the manner that is in accordance with the flesh. Let's say someone is severely unfit and very overweight, and they tell you, I'm going to be in the Olympics next year. We'd say, well, not likely, buddy. Maybe a mental hospital or something. Right? So probably not. Say, or I'm going to play in the Super Bowl next year. And then they spend all their time playing baseball. Or I'm going to become a doctor. I'm going to be a doctor and get my doctoral degree. And then they go out and they practice carpentry. When the time comes for them to be in the Olympics and the Super Bowl and to practice medicine, they won't be able. Why not? They have not been putting into practice and putting in the time that it takes to become what they, what they wanted to become. So it is. I mean, the analogy fails in some levels, but so it is with walking by the Spirit. If you, you spend all your time walking in the flesh and never walk in the Spirit, you, won't, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is not some kind of work salvation. It's just the statement of the facts. What Paul says, if you practice things like this and you make a practice of it, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. So the idea is that there is a world to come and we must learn to fit within it. And the way that we learn to fit within it is by obedience to the spirit of God. Oftentimes you'll hear this, um, that you hear, hear it said that, that we should live as though Jesus could come any day. And I suppose that's true, but it's not quite right. It's, it's kind of like an ethic of guilt, right? So live like Jesus, you know, live like Jesus could come any day is like, be afraid that he might catch you doing something that you shouldn't be doing, right? And I guess that's okay for children, but it's not okay for adults. Uh, the, the idea is that there is an age to come, and by coming into the Messiah, we become part of that world. We get the Spirit of God, which belongs to the future, which belongs to the resurrection, and we must learn to live in accordance with it in the present. We should realize that we are already in the age to come. Delivered from this present evil age, as Paul says at the beginning of Galatians, and then order our lives accordingly in the power of the Spirit. As Paul says later, we must sow to the Spirit. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap what? Eternal life, right? So you sow to the Spirit, good fruit is going to come. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption and you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, we mustn't engage in the things that, that were mentioned in the list, however incomplete the list is, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and, and things like these. But this is not simply a list that we can check off as having accomplished or not done. No, this is a mode or a realm of existence that characterizes those who don't enter God's future kingdom, the resurrection. Who do enter? Those in whom the fruit of the spirit is manifest. That fruit is, first of all, always at the first of his lists, love, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As you know, there are other, in 1 Corinthians, there's another list of the fruit of the Spirit, and it doesn't quite match up. That's because he's not giving a definitive list of what the fruit of the Spirit uh, is. He's saying things like these, right? And you know these things. How do you know these things? Well, you have the Spirit of God. Right? That's what he's saying. There is no Torah against such things. To recap. Paul has laid out a vision of the people of God as one people, united in and around Jesus, the Messianic King. He has admonished the Galatians that they should not put themselves back under Torah or under Torah if they're Gentiles, as Peter and Barnabas, who were Jewish, were trying to do, or they were being influenced to do. They should not put themselves as Jews back under Torah. Why not? To do so would be to place both the Gentile Galatians and the Jewish Galatians back in this present evil age, unaffected, unable to be affected by the death of Jesus, who died for his own people who were under Torah and by doing so bore their curse. As I mentioned, it's not the general curse of sin, but the curse of Torah in Deuteronomy 27 through 29. That Torah landed Israel in exile, separated from the presence of God, alienated from the covenant. And he died for us Gentiles to bring us, who were also in exile, not because of the covenantal curse, but just because we were outside of his presence, to bring us Gentiles into the age to come as well, the new creation. And this is what he has accomplished for both Jews and Gentiles, bringing them into the one body. Jews renewed from within the covenant and Gentiles renewed from without. The effect is the same. New Exodus, the coming out of exile, life in the spirit, resurrection life. And indeed that is where Paul goes with it. It is a life energized by the spirit and the spirit has created a new Torah. And believers in Jesus are to live in accordance with that Torah. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. That's what it looks like to fulfill the Torah. And so fulfill, and thus, in this manner, he says, fulfill the Torah of Christ. That's it. The Torah of Christ, that's the one that we fulfill. And by doing so, we will, we will show the way that the, the new age is coming into the present. It's a simple concept, but it's not easy in practice. What it means, though, is that we forgive, we look for healing, we fight for unity without bitterness, we restore one another in a spirit of humility, considering ourselves also, lest we also fall into the same temptation. We exercise self-control. We love, right? We could go on and on with the characteristics that are ours through the spirit. 
These things are ours and we must put them on like clothing. As, as we all increasingly feel, our days become shorter as years turn, uh, year turns to year. What we must do at all times is reassess ourselves, reassess our own mission and our own purposes within the world because you do not exist for yourself, nor do I. We exist for the creator God and for Jesus himself, and we must make his mission ours. Let us look. So this is not simply about Christmas, but about the coming year. Let us look for the opportunities to love more deeply by meeting each other's needs. I, I, I think when we look at what does it mean to love one another? I think if you look at the New Testament, you will see that that love usually means, maybe not always, it, but what it doesn't mean is I gradually get better and better feelings about other people. Right? That's not what it means. Right? So um, agape love is not about feelings. What it typically means is you meet up each other's needs. You become one family. Right. And you you simply meet each other's needs. So as the as the year comes and as another one goes, we all become increasingly uh, aware that they go faster and faster. But let us look for opportunities to love more deeply and to meet each other's needs and strive to be who we are destined to be in the coming kingdom of God. That's what that's what it's about. And, and he said he says this right at the, at the end. You know, I'll close with this, this quote from 6, uh, 9, and 10. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not faint. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. He's summing up what it means to love. That's what it means to love, to do good, to do good to everyone. These are actions that must be carried out. And what we will do if we, if we carry this out, if we do good to everyone, and especially those of the household of faith, is that we will bring God's future, the future age to come, the resurrection, we will bring that back into the present so that we are a visible sign to those who are perishing, that they, they too might come to know the one creator God. Thank you.